The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, everyone. My name is Jeff Tom, and I am one of the facilitators for today. I am the chair of the Audio Description Project Awards Committee, and I will let our other two facilitators introduce themselves. Um, Carl, you're in the room. You go first. Yes, my name is Carl Richardson. I am the co-chair, along with Kim Charlson, of the Audio Description Project. Hi, Jeff and Carl. This is Kim Charlson, the other co-chair of the Audio Description Project, coming to you from Zoom, and very happy to be here today. Okay, so we are going to um, ask some of our awardees a little about themselves and their interests and what they are currently doing in um, the world of audio description. We have on Zoom... Wayne Brenda and yes. and Nathan Ruggles from Prime Stage Theater. Uh, you want to introduce yourselves, gentlemen? Sure. It's a pleasure to be here today. Nathan's not here yet, but I know he was planning on attending. So, uh, no, we really uh, we're, we're honored by the award, and uh, we're looking to do some, so hopefully, some very exciting things in this coming season and from you know for moving forward. And okay, I'm looking forward you. to learning from others today. Great. And I forgot, failed to mention that Prime Stage um, won our um, award in the uh, organization's category for um, performing arts. Yeah. Right? Sorry yeah. about that. And yeah. it's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> That's right. Hi, Jeff. I'm here. It's Joel. Oh, great. Hey, hey. Joel. Joel is the founder and still consultant with the Audio Description Project and made a lot of this all possible. We also have Norma Jean Wick on Zoom, I do believe, from Descriptive Video Works. Norma Jean, are you there? I am. Yes, very pleased to be here. It's always nice to engage with not just our audience, but other people that uh, collaborate in this uh, initiative to get more of this out there to more people. And uh, I just love hearing about what's happening and who's pushing the boat along and uh, how we can all get better at it. Okay. Thank you. So Jolene, my mind keeps getting fogged. Maybe it's age, but do we have other presenters, other awardees on zoom at the moment? Nathan Ruggles has just joined you. Wonderful. And then uh, in addition to Nathan, we have Holly Griesemer from the National Park Service, who is in Omaha, Nebraska. Or Nebraska. So she's, she is as local as she can get. Um, and Mark Turretz has joined. Norma okay, Jean, uh, we, we understand that Mary Frances will be here pretty soon. Oh, good. And so we'll go with that. So Norma Jean, please say, hi to, please say hi to Reese and uh, Margo for me. Absolutely, I will. Yeah. Good friends. And uh, Nathan Ruggles just joined us, too. So we're both here from Prime Stage. Great. And we'll get back to you guys in a moment. So let's have um, Holly Grissomer introduce herself. 
Hello, Holly Griesmer with the National Park Service. I'm so happy to be here. Um, welcome to Omaha ACB. I am a program analyst with the National Park Service and looking forward to getting to hear more about you all and the projects you're working on as well. Thank you. And Jeff, the um, the award that Norma Jean and Tony, whose name I always mix up. Tony Abrogio. Abrogio, thank you. <laughs> I always think I need my Italian to come back because I know he has an Italian name and it doesn't come back to me. <laughs> One in the, um, I'm trying to think of the category their award was in. Maybe Joe Lynn can help me. Um, individual, which is odd because. Individuals for, for media, correct? Media, right. That's right. Got yeah. it. Because it, And both of you were recognized for your work with the Olympics. So. And, and and Holly, um, you were the recipient. Your your organization, National Park Service, and your amazing work, um, helping to get our tours ready, plus everything else you've been doing, was in the area of audio description in um, in let's see museums, museums, visitors. parks, and visitor centers. So that's okay, cool. and that's Mark, great. And then we have Mark. One. Well, let's have you introduce yourselves and then I'll what to tell what your award was. So, Mark Tourist, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I think some of you met me uh, day of air, so to speak, but I'm Mark Turrets. My lofty title is uh, VP of Captioning and Audio Description Access Services for the new Paramount Global. And uh, I was very, very lucky uh, that I started this career 21, unbeknownst to me, when I worked as an IBM intern in the summer of 79, very Horatio Alger. Summer of 78, I was cutting up in UPS boxes in the warehouse in East Fishkill, New York, but I was an art school student uh, in New York, Cooper Union. So I was doing actually magazine photography work, but cutting me up in boxes at IBM as an IBM kid. Summer of 79, I went up in Arma, corporate headquarters, and I worked on a special that aired ABC in March of 1980, which unbeknownst to me, so I got involved in the uh, field later on directly. I had just worked on what became the first ever closed caption primetime special called IBM Presents Barishnikov on Broadway. So I left that behind at 21, did have art school, can't find work, went up to the legacy Viacom Showtime, which was a brand new spinoff from CBS 10 years earlier. And lo and behold, about two weeks into my start of July 81, we started doing closed captioning very, very much voluntarily early on with the first closed caption cable series, John Biner's Bazaar with the, the late Dave Einstein, uh, uh, who just passed away recently. He was great. Anyhow, so I, I watched movies for seven years there, got paid to do it, watched captioning audio and video, and suddenly in 88, I became the manager of captioning at ABC when a colleague of mine left the job after four years to go to ABC sales. And uh, I was getting a little just uh, tired of, of uh, where I was stuck at ABC, with no offense to ABC Disney, but uh, I suddenly got a call from a headhunter, the only time in my life so far in the fall of 96, and it was CBS looking for me. Uh, I've been at this so long. I've done everybody at the networks who did this job. My predecessor was leaving, and uh, they were looking for me. So I joined in uh, 96 as director of captioning, and then uh, we started audio description, as some of you know, uh, in April 2002, as we were required to do, with the 50, point, 50 hours per calendar quarter. And then six months later, when it struck down in the Court of Appeals, October 2002, a lot of folks ran for the door, uh, not naming names, but folks didn't you know, maintain it. <laughs> we committed then and there to voluntarily maintain audio description, uh, as of October 2002, but we actually grew it over the 10 years in between when it became a law again. So uh, flash forwarding from that, I was uh, one of the invited guests at the uh, 21st Century Disabilities uh, Telecommunications Act, the CVAA, signing in D.C. 
I, was, I think I was the only network executive there, quote unquote, but very happy to be there. As a result of that, I went up on the FCC's video program, the Access Advisory Committee, like some of you here. And at that point, uh, I was luckily and uh, honorably promoted to vice president back in 2011. But uh, anyhow, when we merged our company again, uh, as some of you know, I said Viacom is a spinoff of CBS from antitrust action in uh, 1970-ish. I don't know if you're all aware, but uh, the government said you couldn't own the program syndicated because for those of you old enough to remember, um, syndicated shows, there was no Fox, there was no CW. They bought the programs in the small markets we aired in the network. So that was the spinoff of Viacom, became Showtime. But when we remerged the companies later in Mr. Redstone, late Mr. Redstone, uh, it became first uh, uh, merged, I think, around 2000. But then again, we, we remerged in 2019 as Viacom, CBS, now Paramount Global. And jumping forward, uh, Carl Richardson and I started talking in uh, late 2020, I believe it was, or 20, yeah, 2020, uh, about how we can increase our offerings of audio description to what was then called CBS All Access. Well, that merger, remerger happened in December 2019, the same month Carl contacted me, and we became uh, along with Paramount Plus. And to close it out, we uh, have continued that commitment by the fact that Paramount Plus committed to 100% audio description on all of our network contact content and all originals as of last fall. Uh, while the network was way ahead of the regs uh, by about two and a half uh, times, actually, all along with our, our new ads, um, this became a mission for us to you know, increase our offering as well to match P+. So as of, I believe, it was late March, early April, we became virtually 100% audio described in prime time on CBS, with the exception of a few shows that have delivery issues that don't allow for the audio description. But other than that, that's where we are. I've, I've been through it all. I've known everybody in the biz. I'm very lucky. I've known Joel Snyder, I want to say, since the aughts, I think, Joel, since Captain of the Human Law. And I was very honored oh, to have been selected. Before that. Before that, yeah. I'm just very honored uh, after my long intro here, so I apologize for it, but that's my background. Uh, I'm very honored to have been first nominated by Kim and then selected for this award. Um, maybe it means I'm getting old, that I'm receiving Lifetime Achievement Awards, but I'll take it and I'll take getting as old as I can at the same time. So um, that's where I'm coming from. Just I love that's what I do. I'm honored to serve our consumers and uh, I'll let this person speak uh, hopefully not as long as me. That's great. And now I think from that explanation, you can see why Mark won the Barry Levine Memorial Award for Achievement in Audio Description. So um, let's go around to a few of you and ask you how you got interested in, in audio description. Um, Wayne, has Nathan arrived yes. yet? Yes, he did. Yeah, we're both here. Okay, why don't you two start? Um, okay, um, I'll start just as a producing artistic director and co-founder of Prime Stage. Uh, we started in 1996, and uh, <clears throat> our goal is to really bring, make, create experiences that bring literature to life. That's really what, what our focus is and doing adaptations of literature and encouraging students and adults and everybody to read by using the power of theater. Well, I'm also very, very, um, very much interested and very passionate about making theater accessible to all audiences. That's really where this really where this came from. But it was like, how do we do this? You know, how do we make theater accessible? Um, you know, we do ASL signed performances, but that's, that only hits a small portion of the of our community. There has to be something else that we can do. So we were introduced to Nathan, and um, and then Nathan basically talked to us about this audio description project and doing audio description. 
And it's like, it makes sense. It really does. I had never heard of it before, but it really makes sense. And, and then in addition to that, doing touch tours where the audiences have a chance to touch parts of the set and the costumes and the props. And they also, the actors come out before the show and they deliver their name and a line within the voices of their character. So there's a lot of connections going on with this. And, uh, and then the other thing we, we said, okay, well, then we started doing because of the pandemic, of course, theater shut down, live theater shut down. So it's like, okay, now what do we do? Well, the goal was to keep theater alive. And so we started a program called Prime Online, which were streamed live productions of that would be literally going across the nation and across the world. And it's like, oh, wow. Well, that's fine. But can we stream those as well? Can we do an audio stream of those? It's like, sure, we can. Absolutely, we can. And we should. And when I was looking at different theater companies and finding out what they were doing with streaming, I didn't see anybody else doing this. I saw them doing um, maybe some closed captioning. But I didn't see any audio description of streamed, live streamed and recorded streamed performances. And I thought the, there's a whole chunk of, of theater that audiences are missing. And we have to fix we have to fix this. We definitely have to fix this. So <clears throat> that's where we were going with the audio description. And the other thing, we have a program that we do with the uh, Holocaust Center of Pittsburgh called the Engage Program to address global genocide awareness. And when we're doing streaming now, we're streaming internationally. We're streaming to Poland and 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 uh, Dominican Republic and Ireland and you know, South Africa. So now it's like, well, now we're doing closed captioning, but we're doing closed captioning in several languages. So, you know, we're looking at how can we make theater really, really, really accessible. And that's that's my goal. And that's what I want to keep doing. And, and the other thing now is we're going into, we're reaching now into elementary school kids with our uh, Sprouts program, where Nathan and I are exploring how can we do this for younger kids? I mean, there, there's a whole you know, population of young kids um, that also need access to the theater. And it would be really neat for them to all of a sudden become aware of audio description as children as they grow up and also for their families. So that's part of our, that's our new goal right now. So Nathan, I'll let you take it from there. Oh, uh, well, thank you, Wayne. Um, I, to kind of come back to the, well, let, let me jump off first with what Wayne was saying um, that, and I think what he says by and large really demonstrates why we have been, I think so far fairly successful in the work we've been doing. And that is his commitment to accessibility, his commitment to audit description, which is, I have to say, unfortunately, not always unique. You know, it was not always uh, found in in theaters, and it is unique in many ways. So it wasn't enough just to check a box, right? It was uh, to if we're going to do this, we're going to do it well, we're going to do it right. You know, I'd introduce ideas, introduce thoughts, we discuss them, and it was it was always moving forward with the next thing, right? It was going from providing the audio description during the performance. Uh, to, you know, we went into the touch tours. We have a, now a live on stage pre-show, which includes a live actor ID. And then, and, and like you said as well, we entered the pandemic and I, for one, because I contract with a number of, of theaters and, and other groups and providing audio description, a lot of that went away, right? Because live theater was not going on. But Wayne and Prime Stage didn't say, well, we'll just, you know, forget this for now, along with everybody else, or most everybody, I should say. He found a way to make it work. They had never done it before. 
the, the, the folks who um, they, they contracted with to help uh, record their productions and then make them available online. This was all new to them. So, you know, there was some, you know, you encountered new things, but they didn't shrink from the challenge. Right. And so I, I think that commitment was there. And also I think is what made it work as well is it's been very collaborative and that um, they have given, given me access to be able to do my job in a way that I don't find in all theaters. Right. So from the very beginning of the rehearsal process, I'm given access to um, costumes and sets and props and the designers. And I'm, I'm free to be there at rehearsals and take photos. I'm, Free, I have access to all their all the materials uh, from the very beginning, so I'm able to do my job. And and in the very end, the couple of years ago, they made me the staff audio describer. Not many theaters have staff audio describers, <laughs> so um, that you know in itself is, it demonstrates their commitment to saying you know we think this is important. We have someone who is on our staff list who's committed to doing this, right? But. Um, I'll, I'll just mention briefly as far as how I got into this. 20 years ago, I, I, I'd been working in theater professionally and, and done radio. And then I transitioned out of that, ended up volunteering for the Cincinnati Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired and their radio reading services and doing some uh, board work for them. And I was literally in our break room uh, talking with one of the, all, one of the other volunteers. Um, and, uh, I was introduced to this thing called audio description that he was doing in town. And I had never heard of it before. And it sounded fascinating. Um, uh, Mike Snyder of audio description access in, in Cincinnati. And he said, you know, actually I could probably use some more help. So <laughs> he, he uh, mentored me and trained me. And, and that was, it's pushing a decade ago now. And then when ended up moving to Pittsburgh, I am, I've slowly embraced it more over time and reaching out to different different theaters and um, and growing my involvement as well in audio description. So that's which I'm hoping to make a career now. So that's and with us story. you will. <laughs> <laughs> so Holly, tell us a little about what caused you to get into audio description and, and why you've enjoyed it so much. Thank you. So, um, so I represent the National Park Service, the Midwest region. So we work with national park units from North Dakota down to Arkansas and the Great Lakes. So 13 states in this region, a variety of different park types, um, Mount Rushmore, more of a monument, Isle Royal, that's more of a wilderness. So we work with a wide variety of parks and um, we support them and their staff to make their site and their employees have accessible experiences. So about 10 years ago, when I first got involved with this work, it was really focused on providing training and building awareness. And it was always very heavy on following the standards, the ABA standards for physical accessibility and identifying physical barriers. And then um, most recently, um, it was more focused um, on the programmatic accessibility side, you know, and, um, and making sure the whole and 
visitor experience is accessible. So it was about 2020 that the project was um, identified um, in our region, and it was called the Descriptathon. I hope many of you have heard about it already. Um, so the Descriptathon was a project that came to our radar, um, and it was a chance to provide audio description to our park Unigrid brochures. So I hope many of you are aware of those brochures. And um, often when you go to a national park site, you pick up one of these brochures and it's you it's a nifty little um, tool you could use to plan your trip and pick which destinations, what programs you want to participate in. And providing audio description for these brochures allow um, everybody to be able to be an active member of their um, visit to the national parks. And so when I heard about it, I was very interested in becoming um, involved in the project and um, we had funding to support it. And so the first year it was called D7, so Descriptathon 7. So there were many um, Descriptathons before the Midwest got involved, but that was when we got involved and thank goodness it was already virtual before COVID. So it could still happen. It didn't get checked or erased off the calendar with many other things that happened that year. And so it was a great success. And not only does it provide, you know, the the, the end result, the audio described brochure, but it provides so much training for our park staff along the way. Um, they start out learning how to audio describe a, bro, a portrait and a landscape, you know, and then more challenging, a collage, you know, and it's competitive and so many partners are involved that makes this project happen. Um, the University of Hawaii, Harper's Ferrier Center, and then all the parks that participate. And, and they add competition to it. And the, the trophy at the end is, um, is a coconut from Hawaii because that's where the professor, Dr. Brett Opgard, is from. And so they make it really fun. And so please follow up with more questions if you want any more information. I'll talk forever about it okay. thank Holly, you this is so this Holly, is just Kim. A follow -up question what what have the staff reactions been those who have participated in the competition oh it's all over the place um you know if i think what you put into it is what you get out of it, right? If you commit to putting the time into it and learning and growing through the process, it's really positive, right? But if you kind of put it off to the last minute and you're just kind of trying to do it on the side while you're multitasking and you really don't have the time to commit that it takes, it could be a challenge. And so we really try to, um, when we're looking at parks who are able to participate, we're really looking for the leader leadership that commit can commit the time and then the capacity to that you know if there's a lot of um um uh you know yeah, um, i thought i heard you did you yes this um this is kim and i just wanted to say holly that i participated in several of the descriptathons and remember many of the parks in your region and i just wanted to share, you know, kind of my favorite personal story of using a, a unit described um, accessible park brochure a couple of years ago with my family. We went to Cape Cod 
and we visited the Cape Cod National Seashore and we got on Route 9, which is the highway through Cape Cod. And I said, well, we're going to go about 10 miles and it'll be on your right. And they're like, how do you know that? Well, I did my research, you know. <laughs> and so we got there. I said, there's the visitor center is going to be about a half a mile in. And they're like, how do you know that? I said, I did my research. And then I said, you know, the, the, um, the Braille Trail here at Cape Cod National Seashore, the entrance is to the left of the visitor center. And they said, no, how do you know that? And then they said, look, there's a sign. It says Braille Trail. And so, you know, we did the Braille Trail and then we we got back to our car and I said, do you want to go to um, Seagull Beach, which is a famous beach on Cape Cod National Seashore? And or is it Coast Guard Beach? I can't remember. I think it's Coast Guard Beach. And I said, well, we're going to go down and there's two parking lots and we can decide which one. And they're like, how do you know this? And it was all because that brochure was audio described. And I had all this information that nobody else knew. And, you know, I was like the lead person in our group. And it was so fun for a change to be the one that had all the information and the knowledge because everybody else would say, what do we do next? And I'd be able to tell them, well, you just go that way and do this and parking's on the lower level. And they're, they're like, okay, I'm glad you know this. <laughs> so I really felt like, you know, I was the coordinator instead of sitting in the back seat, not giving any input because I didn't know what was a, an option for us. So the brochures make so much of an impact and so much of a difference for people who can read the information ahead of time and be a part of the planning. I think that's really terrific. Thank you for that feedback, Kim. That's great. We're a third of the way there in the Midwest, so keep checking out our parks. <laughs> what we'll do then, then we will go to Norma Jean and ask you um, what got you into audio description and what continues to light your fire, so to speak, with respect to, respect to it. So Norma Jean, and then we'll get to Mary Frances. Sure. I guess, you know, listening to all the people here, you know, builders, founders, people behind the scenes, people that are, you know, branching out and creating more and more description uh, in more and more scenarios. I'm kind of, I guess, in television, there's a joke that the anchors or reporters were, were called lips and hair. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess I'm the lips and hair version of that um, as a as a describer. Although um, what I bring to it comes from a very... Um, Diverse background, actually. I uh, was always interested in sports, of course, growing up, uh, but I really wanted to be a lawyer. And uh, I got a job with, I'll change the terminology because I'm Canadian, so it would be like the DA's office. Uh, I spent a lot of time in court, a lot of time on ride-alongs with police, a lot of time uh, with the justice system and decided that it was definitely not for me. In fact, my great escape from all the things I was hearing and dealing with was sports. And I think it was Justice Earl Warren that said that when he wanted to read about men's accomplishments, he turned to the sports pages because the front pages were full of nothing but men's failures. So uh, I decided to uh, get into broadcasting and, and sports. Uh, unfortunately, another one of men's failures is they didn't want women in sports. <laughs> so but I managed to, uh, you know, uh, spend a few years in it before deciding that I would go to news and uh, work on getting more experience and more exposure. So unfortunately, though, uh, after 
being a reporter for a few years and then eventually an anchor, uh, because of my background in criminal law, I got a lot of the criminal cases. So once again, found myself in the very position I was trying to avoid to begin with, just from a different perspective. So um, I decided I wanted to go back to sports. And at the time, I was still working part-time in sports, but we got an NBA franchise in Vancouver, the Vancouver Grizzlies, who are now in Memphis. And people that I had worked with in the sports department invited me to come and do feature production sideline reporting. Uh, So I did that for 11 years for two teams, the Raptors and uh, the Grizzlies, and then moved to Toronto and worked with the Raptors. In Toronto, um, I eventually got into teaching for 10 years at a sports broadcasting uh, private college and um, met Jim Van Horn, who also happened to uh, meet Diane Johnson, who was the founder of Descriptive Video Works at the time, and she was working with Accessible Media, and they were looking for describers for Blue Jays baseball. And uh, Jim said, hey, you know, if you're interested, which I was. So basically, I got an education from Accessible Media through lots of... um, Lots of rehearsals and things and just getting into it and doing it uh, and really enjoying it. Um, And then we started doing uh, things like the Grey Cup or curling. The Grey Cup, of course, being the Canadians answer to the Super Bowl. It's just a little less super, but it's still it's still a bowl. Um, So we did that. And then the Sochi Paralympics, uh, Descriptive Video Works got involved with that. And uh, we did description for the Sochi Paralympics. And then we did it for the Pan Am Games. And then the next thing, you know, thanks a lot in part to uh, Tom Wodlikowski, the uh, VP of Accessibility for Comcast. Once he got involved in the project for NBC, things really moved forward quickly. And my uh, colleague Jim and I did uh, the description for uh, Rio. And then that turned into Olympics and Paralympics for Pyeongchang then for Tokyo, then for Beijing, and we're hoping ad infinitum. But what I love most about sports, and I, by the way, I also, through AMI, eventually I became a writer as well, and I also narrate um, both movies, televisions, et cetera, for episodic television and documentaries and so forth. So I, I narrate those as well, but those are all scripted. So it's nothing quite like live TV. Um and there's nothing quite like the Olympics in particular. It's there's so many great stories. So it's become a real passion of mine to get better every year at trying to translate all the things that are happening in split seconds uh, as briefly and concisely as I can. But there's an awful lot going on. But I know our audience also appreciates just the emotions of the event and things like um Oh, gosh, I'm going to forget her name now. Um, she is both a summer and winter Paralympian, Ox- Oksana. Um, gosh, sorry, I'm having a brain cramp. Yeah. Oksana Masters. Yeah, and one thing that this year was was really incredible, and I haven't seen it as much in the Paralympics, is rather than trying to cover um, whatever um, they're using to compete um, whether it's, you know, the, um, now they use, they, they've created these incredible, it's called, I think it's called bio, bio maps. I'll, I'll get it right, but new orthotics, new ways of 
people being able to compete. And before, people used to cover those up. And now Oksana Masters is there in a short skirt, proudly displaying her prosthetic legs. And more and more now, people are beginning to say, hey, this is me. This is how I compete. This is how I live. And I really have really love seeing that change in the Paralympics in particular, that people are really coming out from behind the shadows or out from feeling embarrassed about whatever their disability is and actually being proud of the fact that here I am and I'm doing this and uh, I'm loving it. So it gets better all the time. The stories get better. Um, The emotions never change. There's always the highs, the lows, the agony, the ecstasy, and then the sportsmanship. It's just, it's such a privilege and sometimes really hard not to get choked up in those moments as well. So I just love it. And I hope that we keep doing it and we keep getting better at it and we keep doing more of it. That's great. The only thing I do have to say is about the curling thing, I'm still (laughs) real hazy on curling. Okay, so now I have next to me our awardee in the uh, for an achievement award in performing arts for an individual from the radio reading Iowa Radio Reading Service, uh, Mary Frances Evans, and I'm going to hand her the mic so she can tell you and your question, like I've asked the others, um, what is it that sort of got you into audio description and, and really what sort of keeps you going at it? Oh, thank you, Jeff. Um, hi, Joel. <laughs> hi, Punk. Anyway. Um, Actually, what got me Hi, into Mary it, Francis. <laughs> I went to my first um, IAAIS conference. That's the Association of All the Reading Services uh, throughout the world. I went to my first conference as a newbie, and I went to a workshop that I thought was the secret to fundraising. And about three minutes in, I realized I was in the audio description workshop. And everyone at the conference, folks who work in radio reading stay for decades and decades. And I was the newbie and I didn't know anybody. And I thought it would be very embarrassing if I got up and vacated. So I stayed for Joel's workshop and I was enthralled. Um, he had me at the first little piece of video he played. Um, he, he played a clip of a movie without any video. And we went around the room to guess what was happening and how very differently everyone interpreted what was in the clip. I thought it was someone eating potato chips on a beach and it turned out to be something completely different. But so I might've stalked Joel a little bit at that conference. It was either Dallas or Houston. (laughs) And um, I came back home and I couldn't get it out of my head. I'm still a crap fundraiser because I didn't go to the right thing. But um, I uh, came back and I was talking to a volunteer and I told her all about it. And she could tell by the way I spoke about it that it was pretty cool. And she came back a few weeks later and we talked some more and she said, what would it cost to do something like this? I said, I have no clue. Um, I guess, well, we're hiring Joel if we're doing anything. We're not going to do this on the fly. We're going to hire the guy. And um, then I guess we're going to need some equipment. So I just said, I have no idea, Eileen, 10,000 bucks, I guess. I don't know. I have no clue. And then two weeks later, she came back for her shift with a check for $10,000. And she um, named our team the sensation team. I figure as the funder and creator of the team, she gets to do that. And um, she has been on the team since day one. 
And as a matter of fact, um, I don't know if Carrie Chapman is here for conference, um, but her daughter got married a week ago. And Carrie has been an Iris board member. Um, I've known Carrie and her family for 12 years, but she asked many months ago if I would do description of her daughter's big day. And I said, of course I will. Well, my nephew was having his big day at the same time. So I reached literally the same time. So I reached out to Eileen and Eileen said, of course. And in kind of a full circle fashion, Eileen sat behind a cabin at this outdoor wedding in a lawn chair. And she did audio description for Carrie of Carrie's daughter's beautiful wedding, beautiful daughter, beautiful wedding. Um, and, and did it in her earpiece in her phone. So is that a good answer? <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> I, so um, uh, turning now to Mark, you gave us a little idea of, of what you've been doing up to now. Tell us what keeps you, uh, what, what keeps your fire going and what you perceive of the future for audio description. Well, first of all, I want to thank Norma Jean for plugging uh, curling. That was uh, the most incredible sport. We went to the O2 Olympics with our now uh, grown uh, adult sons, and uh, we took in a lot of curling. It was great. It was the best thing happening. Well, downhill skiing was good, too. But anyhow, so, you know, just it's really exciting to uh, keep growing audio description at CBS and Paramount+. Plus. We've put so much energy into it, and uh, it's so exciting. Um, I've said to some folks uh, uh, along the way that, I really have a little bit feeling with audio description, and I know it's a more limited uh, requirement at this point, but it really feels a lot to me like closed captioning uh, circa 1996, 97, right before the rigs hit uh, that rolled in 98 through 06 in the States. Just that buzz about it now. You know, people for so long didn't know what audio description was. Um, and just like captioning, I've got to tell you, when I started uh, as manager captioning at ABC in 1988, I would get more calls from people who are new to America uh, wanting to buy the telecaption decoder box and actual deaf people because clearly, you know, there's an economic disadvantage in the uh, you know, disabilities world. But people are using it to learn English as a second language, like we now know folks are doing with description for sensory uh, impairments. So uh, for years and years, people literally asked me, for those of you old enough to have seen originally or know the famous Saturday Night Live sketch, which uh, certainly isn't very tasteful or respectful at this point, but it Exactly. It was uh, Chevy Chase reading the news and uh, the great Garrett Morris. Joel was news to the deaf and hard of hearing, I think. And so, again, not not necessarily uh, in, in a way we want to portray it now. But a, little, a little description for folks. I cupped my hands around my mouth the way Garrett Morris used to do. Right. And I'd be shouting tonight, Jeff yeah. Chevy Chase the news. The news say, on the CBS. That's the yeah. way he did, did it. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Joel, Joel would repeat it at a louder volume, which, again, is disrespectful. <laughs> but the point of all this is, is that now we know some stuff. Well, the point of that, all that is, is that for so many years, people ask me about closed captioning. Is there a guy in a bubble shouting? And, and that's that's how unknown it was. And suddenly when the laws came and it went mainstream, everybody knows captioning. Everybody knows where to find it. Everybody relies upon it. Uh, like many of you, probably my wife uses it to understand heavy uh, foreign accents in, in the show she watches. So for many, many years, description had the same recognition. Nobody knew what it was. I would describe it as somewhere to stage direction in a, in a script for those who knew that world. And now more and more every day, I ask people, you know, well, I say to them, I, I, um, I'm an expert on accessibility. I explain that it's closed captioning for our deaf and hard of hearing consumers. And, and uh, 
video description or audio description for blind and visual impaired consumers. And many times now, people actually know what it is. So, so that's what excites me that as we go to the service, there's a recognition factor that people, of course, in this community appreciate it, but it has a wider recognition and acceptance. And you know, I see it growing uh, only more as time goes on. So yeah, Kim, Carl, Kim. Joel, do you, yeah, do you I have a question. Want, okay, to toss out there for for each of our award recipients, and that would be, and I I think I'll talk start with Mark, um, just because he's he's warmed up. He's told us a few things, but so what do you see as sort of you know the the next step or your next big project or your next big announcement that maybe you can't tell us today but you can give us a sneak peek or what to anticipate about what you're going to make happen for audio description in your work so clearly i think uh, everyone here knows about the ongoing effort of paramount plus that we're going to be growing the service there across the platform as much as we can but um in terms of the day-to-day audio description, I'm just very, very excited to see it grow on CBS, to keep growing it, and to bring more to our audience. I, I think uh, growth is the way, and that's what I'm looking for. Norma Jean, would it be the next Olympics, or do you have some other things you're hoping to do? I'm always doing a lot of other things. Um, <laughs> Indigenous uh, Day Live here, 2022, I'll do the Truth and Reconciliation Day as well. Again, I've read articles for the Walrus, the magazine show, and then continue with my own writing, uh, scripting of uh, scripts and also just narration. The thing about it is that uh, for me, it never stands the test of time. And I'm speaking about what I do. So there's always this sense that you can make it better. Um, And I am on a best practices committee. And we're looking again to see where we are with best practices in this country. And I know that there is a movement towards uh, certification in the States, which I think is amazing. And I wish that we would do that here as well. I just think there are ways that we can always improve it and make it better. And just for myself personally, I take as it as, as a challenge every year, just to be a little bit better. And that is from, you know, learning from other people, watching things, um, watching how this is growing and staying abreast of the changes that, you know, we're constantly making to reflect changes in our society and changes in the way we see things and, and, and view things. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's an ongoing quest to be better. And I just love the fact that it is such a creative medium and it's a challenge to to translate with the right words at the right time in the right way. And it's such a joy to have that challenge. Very creative. That's great. And and um, we do, as the chair of the certification process for audio description, I can tell you that there are um, two, I think Joel, Joel is on the committee with me, and there are two expert people from Canada as part of our certification effort. And we are hoping and wanting it to be an international certification for audio description. That would be amazing. Good. Wayne. Uh, you know, uh, Kim, I'm sorry. This is oh, Mark. Mark. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I apologize. Stepping on that Norma Jean's, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, outline. I really forgot one key point on Norma Jean, seeing her as the live audio describer, maybe realize I forgot to include this, that, um, again, many of you know, we recently finally launched live audio description on CBS, first with the Grammys and then with the Tonys. Um, and certainly, uh, I like being first, and I've had a lot of first in my career, but uh, 
Norma Jean and NBC and my friend Tom Lukowski and uh, my former company, ABC Disney, beat us to the punch in that one. But we're doing it now. And uh, our, our intent is to grow that. To uh, that That's a big part of my focus right now. See how we can grow a live audio description on CBS as well. So I meant to add that. And thank you, Norma Jean, for the reminder of that. You know, and may I say, too, that I think live audio description um Live events lend themselves very nicely to audio description because there is a flow to things and there's breathing room as opposed to, for example, when I was doing the Olympics, when they'd have those specials, those one hour specials that are highly produced, I would go in and script it because it's so much harder uh, not to step on things when they're highly produced because they're very tight. And so you really don't want to step on dialogue, whereas uh, a lot of sports in particular, but even award shows, like after they say their name, you've got lots of time to describe what they're wearing or maybe their trippy little uh, walk to the the uh, podium or the reactions. or So live events really lend themselves very beautifully to description. And Norman Jean, now you're learning while you're earning on this one because uh... – even in a long time, I've heard both your voices for so many years on Tom's shows, uh, particularly Alpine Skiing, my favorite. Um, but uh, anyhow, you know, we got very involved in making sure all the prep material was there, that we had the scripts and the rundowns in advance, and we actually had the full live dress rehearsal, and, and that really helped a lot, you know? So, so that, that was a huge part of uh, making it better and best practices that we did ourselves. I'm very jealous of Nathan, um, who has access to the actors, the costumes, the props. In the Paralympics, we were lucky because we had a lot of the adaptive equipment uh, outside the studios of NBC. And I would literally go take a tape measure and measure things Mm -hmm. and just to get a better perspective of how these things work. The motorcycle shocks on the bottom of a sit ski, how it's constructed, um, all that stuff. So, and in even better, a couple of times we had uh, Paralympians doing uh, play-by-play or color in booths nearby. So we would chat with them and learn more from them about their experience and just questions that we had about, you know, the way the sport goes or the equipment or whatever. So that really does enhance our ability to be more accurate when we can do that kind of research and have the actual people there. It's amazing. And I think you mentioned also about, you know, about the learning while you're doing it and improving it. You know, we learned pretty quickly from the Grammys. We got to the in memoriam section for the deceased artists. And uh, we had only one describer of the two ready to do that. We realized, wait a minute, we can't get the narrative. We can't do the name and then read so-and-so, a distinguished actor. So for the uh, Tony Awards, we had a set in advance. We one, one read the name, the other read the description. So we learned by the second time on that one. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's how it goes. The more we do, the better we get at it. Yeah. And Norma Jean, I just want to say, please um, convey to your colleague, Sarah, I believe, the describer for the 4th of July, um, Macy's Fireworks Sarah, Spectacular. Wow. She she did. I watched quite a bit of it. And, um, you know, it really made a difference because, you know, what's a... What's a fireworks demonstration for someone who can't see other than a lot of noise? So she really brought it to life and gave it that character and that excitement that um, that it has excited people for for decades you know, when they watch fireworks. So it was really well done. I'm sure she'd be pleased to hear that. Sarah's great. The way, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Norgie. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I love the idea of the international certification, and I would love to see what we can do to get to ha- get uh, Nathan to get that. I mm-hmm. think it's really important, especially with our Engage program. I think it would make so much more sense. I really, I would be wonderful. Then we can really serve a whole new audience, you know, that uh, as we're doing these streaming productions and whatever, you know, I think it's I think it's really important. Um, the one, qu- the couple questions I have is right now we're using equipment from what's called uh, Greater Pittsburgh Arts Council. Okay, so we're borrowing the equipment, um, which can be a bit of a trick at times. Um, and I'm just wondering, are there grants out there where we could apply to get equipment that we own, so then we can actually provide maybe more services like for the younger audiences for the sprouts program or we could expand what we do rather than having to go to gpac and say hey we need we need this equipment at this time well i'm sorry you can't have it because another theater is using it um so we really like to get to the point where we own the equipment or the hazler theater owns the equipment um but again i mean no it's expensive but we but it would be it would be such a benefit to be able to do that and and i think the other my other question is one of our goals, and Nathan, you can uh, chat. You can chat about this too. We need to re- we need to build our audiences. You know, um, we were we were moving in a really nice direction before the pandemic hit, and now we have to rebuild regular audiences as well as audiences for the audio description. What have you found that has been successful that uh, stimulates the curiosity, motivates them? and uh, really gets them excited about about uh, attending a sensor a, a an audio described performance i mean i would we would love to know your your thoughts on this well uh, you, you know bravo first of all to you and to nathan the work that you're doing there um i i, I just have to remark that uh, the notion of integrating the description within the production of the show, going to the rehearsals, talking to the directors, the scenic, everything Nathan was talking about is is really the new way to get at description as opposed to eh, see it a couple of times and do the description from a few notes. No, no, that's old school. That's how we began in 1980, 81. We've, we've progressed way beyond that to doing what Nathan does. And then as a staff person, you can make the description conceivably at every performance. None of this, you yeah. know, third Thursday and, and fourth Saturday matinee, a blind person should be able to go up to the box office and buy a ticket. Boom. And, oh, I need the audio description. No problem. Because Nathan's there. Whoever's there, whatever, that kind of thing. We at the audio description project, we did. A, we were funded to do two uh, productions at Arena Stage that way. And they tripled their attendance of really? people who are blind. So that speaks to uh, one of your uh, concerns there, Wayne. As far as funding for equipment, I spent 20 years at the National Endowment for the Arts and public funding is available. I would certainly pursue the Pennsylvania Council on the Arts. They um, may or may not have rules about funding um, equipment, uh, hard costs right. like that. Um, but it is always an attractive thing for private funders um, off the top of my head, I'm thinking Heinz in Pittsburgh. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and we're talking five, ten thousand dollars for a complete set um, from Tourmate or from Williamstown or whoever it is. Um, it's that's pennies uh, comparatively to the kinds of grants that they're used to giving. Right. So that that might very well be a problem. The other thing about building audiences uh, quickly, you know, when I do audio describe tours for museums in particular, 
I do the tour. It's all written out. It's done. It's been tested with users of description. And then I tell them they're half done. They're half done because audio description, you know, sure, it's it's better known these days, as Mark was saying. But after 40 some years, it's still under known. And you, you have to go out and get the word to the people every single way possible. And the most effective I have found is personal connections on the phone, talking to the groups locally, mm-hmm. uh, go out and, and, and offer them, find grants that offer them in Seattle. They do it. They, they have a grant to provide transportation. They have a grant to lower costs, costs and transportation, two biggest barriers for people who are blind going to the theater, getting there. You know, um, if, if you can set up a program like that, Get out there, get the word out there, and we'll help you at the Audio Description Project. ACB will help you. All of the blindness support organizations will help get the word out. So those are a few things. That would be wonderful, Joel. And because the other thing I'm also thinking about, and I'm going to, this is going to be new information for Nate, so I apologize. But as we're doing these, uh, you know, as we're doing the the, the closed captioning and as we're doing these audio description described performances and we're going internationally, boy, what could we do to make them make those international as well? You know, I don't want Nathan to have to learn five new different languages to do this, but you'll you'll build your staff of describers. Um, (laughs) I work work closely with Maria Diaz uh, at the ICAPTA. Uh, They are the principal provider of Spanish description in this country. 40 million Spanish speakers. Um, My book on description has been published in six different languages now, as well as Braille, uh, of course, and as an audio book. It's absolutely critical to spread the word. Uh, I did a survey with the World Blind Union two years ago. There are 70 countries now that have some degree of audio description, wow. mostly with media, um, but it's it's out there. Um, and uh, if you can arrange for those, the technical requirements to stream it, uh, you'll have listeners in Spanish, you'll have listeners in uh, uh, Portuguese, in Polish, in Chinese, um, those, those, those Russian, those are just the languages my book's been published in. Uh, and I know those contacts there. So, so uh, is, is, is using the web, is that, is that an effective tool or not? Sure. Using our website. It is. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Uh, get, get the URL to, out to people so they know where to find you and that you want them to find you to build uh, your services. And I was, so I, I would add to for Wayne that, that, um, you're you're already doing a phenomenal thing, which is online, um, you know, coverage of your productions. Mm-hmm. So, me here in Boston could get a ticket and watch your production. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, anybody anywhere who wants description for live theater could get a ticket. So you have the potential right now to send Joel or me your announcements when you have the information on how to get access to the online um, audio described performance that we can post that on our email lists that are, have members from all over the English speaking world to get the word out and increase your viewers, you know, right now, the, the, the interest is there. We had um, last year, the, I think it was the New Zealand ballet, Joel, that did, um, a, an audio described ballet production wow. and we announced it here in the U S and there were probably were 
you know, several, at least um, a couple dozen extra people attended the performance because they were here and they saw it and it was during the pandemic and they were excited about it. So learning about other places that are doing online audio described productions, making those available would be something we could share and and let people know. Sure. And and those that are doing live performances and doing audio description with live performer where people come to the theater, that's the other challenge. You know, people are a little skeptical yet about coming back to the theater, but we want to create the, you know, we want to create the experience. We we say we don't do plays, we do experiences. And um, that's kind of what we're looking at to do as well. Well, and I, I will say you, you use the word live audio description, which is, of course, uh, the best way to do description at live performing arts events. There have been uh, folks that are using recorded description in New York, in particular, Gala Pro Sound Associates. Um, we've done research on that and um, I've done some writing on that. And I think uh, people who are blind by far prefer that live description. But I want to give a nod to uh, Nora Jean and uh, Descriptive Video Works because that's live, but it's extemporaneous. Uh, because there is no script, there shouldn't be a script. Theater that can be go, let's let Mary Francis with half, with half an eye on the script and then one and a half eyes on the stage. But extemporaneous description is a real uh, a real art, and uh, I applaud Norma Jean and what you're doing with that. Thank you very much. It is an adventure every time out, <laughs> but that's what makes it so engaging. Okay, Mary Francis. I, no, I was just going to say when uh, Joel came to Iowa to train us. Uh, it was a three-day training, and I think it was on day three he realized our plan was to do live theater um, and to do it in a month, Les Miserables. And he mm. w- he was not <laughs> um, <laughs> confident. Um, we went off. 12 times, and we took blind people uh, before we actually did it. Uh, we took a group of blind people three times and then asked them what we could do better, what we could lose. And by the time we actually did that first show in Des Moines with audio description, first of all, I could not wait for Jean Valjean to just die. (laughs) (laughs) Die already. Every night. Um, But I will just relate a couple things to the Iowa program really quickly. And I apologize for my lateness. We had a little weather coming over, but um, number one, we use only volunteers at this point to do the description Um, we have a tiny, tiny budget and we train them and we retrain them every year. We need to circle back since the pandemic and get them going again. We do, um, we serve theaters in central Iowa in the Eastern corridor and we pick up new theaters all the time and I'm growing little teams in each of those places, but I still go and, uh, watch them do the show. And we're still at the point where, I don't like how they do certain things and we're still training them a little bit, but on the fly, as far as funding is concerned, I have found it easier to get equipment for gear um, than I thought. And the Des Moines community playhouse, for example, um, we built the program uh, to the point where there was enough awareness of it that together we wrote a grant to a casino and now Okay, on Sunday, I should say, this coming Sunday, I will drag two really heavy suitcases. One has the transmitter. The other one has a headset. I will drag that crap to the Des Moines Community Playhouse to do Matilda the Musical at 2 p.m. on Sunday. Um, 
they just got the grant to buy their own equipment. So the only thing I'll have to drag uh, going forward uh, would be myself. Um, but we built the awareness there at that theater so that we could write a grant and have testimonials from patrons who had used the service that it was important. And boom, we got it. So they'll have their own equipment. The other thing, and, and Joel might agree that I have some sneaky ways. Um, it Last summer, I did a two-hour training for uh, teachers of children with special needs of all kinds, um, not just blind kids, but all kinds of kids, and talked about how you can use audio description techniques in your everyday instruction and how um, even when you do a PowerPoint, how you can use audio description techniques to make it accessible. Um, whenever I go anywhere, uh, we recently got the iris signal installed in 17,000, or excuse me, yeah, 17,000 televisions at the University of Iowa Health Systems. But as we were talking through that process of how we were going to get our radio reading service part on, we talked about audio description. And they're going to hire Iris to come in and they have some remodeling going on. Essentially, I told them how freaking inaccessible their hallways were and their signage and everything. So we're going to come in and do more of a wayfinding audio description study kind of deal. But like you get to a corridor intersection and if you have, you know, there'll be a QR code and it'll tell you that radiology is to the left, you know, whatever's to the right, but um, they will give us money to do those recommendations and to help them help them set that up. That is fantastic. Um, so then, that well, is hang on. Hey, I'm not done. So Wells okay. Fargo, I'm going fast. Okay. Wells Fargo, they won't fund my radio reading service, but I'm going to read their annual report. Rather, my volunteers will record their annual report so that they can put it on their website and call themselves accessible. <laughs> and they give me money for that. And finally, just last week, the Harkin Institute um, just built a beautiful building in Des Moines. Finally, people are learning. Um, we're go- Iris is going to go in and do audio described QR code cuts so that not only will people be able to find their way through the hallways, but every piece of art, every display and every interest, like they've got some sculptures in there. We're putting QR codes on them so that it is truly accessible for people to come in um, like at the art center in Des Moines right now, they have audio, but you have to go in order a certain order through the thing. And guess what? I know Norma Boat. She's not going to want to go in order. She's going to want to go the other way. So <laughs> weaving audio description in is a hot button, exciting thing to funders. And I'll give you my email. I come up with all sorts of dastardly ways to get money out of people, <laughs> but also it makes them accessible. And then there's a company called Taro in Des Moines that trains trainers to, to it trains corporate people to be better corporate people or whatever they do. Anyway, I'm doing a training for the trainers on how to use audio description techniques to make their trainings not only accessible, but also more interesting. Um, like here's a, here's a PowerPoint and there's a pyramid on it, you know, um, describe the thing. And that, that helps um, increase the neuro pathway retention for not only people with outside, but those with sight too. So anyway, That's, Joel, I'm doing all that is great. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We're going to, because we only have 10 minutes left. We're going to open it up to questions. 
And we'll take one Zoom and one in the room alternating. So do, Chanel, do we have a Zoom question? Yes, we do. First and, up is Janine. Hi, my name is Janine and I love audio description. And I want to thank each and every one of you for your efforts in this field. And if it wasn't for you guys, my world would be so dark and I wouldn't have it. So I want to say thank you. And um, I just wanted to say to the theater guy, um, I forgot his name. I'm so sorry. Um, yes, there are grants that will pay for the system for you because uh, we got one for the Orlando Fringe Festival and we I fought for auto description for Orlando Fringe and this was our second year doing it. And uh, this year we did 28 described shows. Last year we did four. Now I have a question for the CBS Viacom guy. Are you live describing Big Brother? Is that in your repertoire? <laughs> it's very important. A- it, it is not as if yet we're still, you know, live description CBS is still very complicated. It took 25 people to get the Grammys done and then 15 to get Tony's done. If Norma Jean can attest to the complexity of that. So, you know, the day we hope will come when, when mainstream, you know, series that are live can handle it. Um, but we're not quite there yet. But uh, hopefully we'll be on the roadmap before too long. Okay. Thank you. Do we have a room question? Hi, this is Norma Bogey, and uh, yeah, I'm from Des Moines, Iowa, and this person next to me is the most awesome person I know. Anyway, Mary Frances, Mary Frances, um, can you talk us a little bit about any possibilities of, of working with more of the museums around Iowa, like the Gold Star Museum at uh, Camp, uh, or Fort Des Moines, and uh, other museums around the state? Uh, I think, um, especially younger people hearing about the history of Iowa through these museums, I find... Um, um, very compelling, and, and I think it deserves to be done. Thank you. Thanks, Norma, um, my friend, as well as my biggest fan. Anyway, yes. So when we started this project, I was uh, raring to go with QR codes. Um, for example, at the Des Moines Zoo, the Blank Park Zoo, there's a plaque in front of the giraffes, and the plaque says the reticulated giraffe is 12 feet high and has his baby standing up and it needs a bale of hay every day. There's a paragraph. And then there's a piece of Braille. And I rubbed the Braille and I took it home because I don't read Braille. And I checked it out and it says giraffe. <laughs> so the difference between what the, 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 the cavity black hole of information that people even go into the zoo. So I came up with a plan to QR code the zoo and the talks began to put a little QR code on all of those plaques. And then that QR code would lead to an MP3 of my volunteers saying the reticulated draft is 12 feet high and it has a baby standing up. And also you could push one to then hear an audio or hear a description of the actual habitat. And then you could keep drilling down. Um, And then QR codes kind of weren't cool for a while. And so the zoo backed off because and we were talking about the Skywalk system doing the same thing there. They, they kind of backed off because QR codes seemed like a flash in the pan until the pandemic. QR codes are back big and bad on every flipping thing. They're on commercials and stuff. So now we're restarting. But yeah, I think QR codes are going to stay. And I think the technology and, um, and also, you know, CBS has to have a huge pipe to put out all that data. Um, the, the piping... Uh, available for streaming uh, all kinds of things, even though our audio wouldn't take up that much, but still the the pipes are getting big enough to do more things. I think QR codes are going to be here. 
um, to stay. And I think, yes, Norma, the sky is the limit on all the cool things we could do. Yeah. So, actually, before we move on, um, hang on for one second, Joel. Actually, that was Nathan. (laughs) Yes, I was going to acknowledge you. Go ahead. Yeah, I I just wanted to um, uh, jump off a couple of things in the, the earlier question that. Uh, Wayne and Joel and Norma all said, but um, uh, first when Joel, Joel said about but live audio description being appropriate for live performance, I mean, I'll give one example, and that is from uh, the Prime Stage's production of A Wrinkle in Time, where the dog in, in the show was a puppet, and and one of the actors um, came up to the, the dog came on stage, being manipulated by the puppeteer, and um, was petting the dog. Now, there was a seeing-eye dog in the front row in the audience who saw this other golden retriever on stage getting petted and decided, you know what, I want to get on, on that too. So the dog went in on stage. And, you know, you can't ignore that. The audience is, 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 is reacting voraciously. So, and if that was a pre-recorded audio description... <laughs> It would have been nothing. It would have gone on to the next thing, right? Um, and then there's that. There actually is a theater in Pittsburgh to use it. The advantage being you can offer it for every production, right? Um, very easily. So, uh, but but it you know when you have it live, it, it it's it's great. Another thing uh, Joe mentioned was you know about transportation, and this is something the Prime Stage did as well. You know when you list theater productions, you always list the start time for the show. They don't list the end time for the show. But we have a transportation service here in Pittsburgh, Access, that provides uh, transportation for for folks who, with uh, disabilities and needs, including uh, the blind, visually impaired community. They need to know when the show ends so they can get their ride to pick them up because they have to schedule the day ahead of time, right? So getting the end time of the show out there on the website, on the materials is something the theaters wouldn't think about, right? Unless you explain to them, you know, this this is needed, right? So it, it really is, and going back to what Norma, G said, Norma Jean said, as far as improvement moving forward, how can we do better? It's those types of things that can help us do better, right? Is exploring on and the services that go on just about what happens during that two hours in the theater um, while we're describing the show. And I will mention one other thing that that um, I've been developing independently, but we're talking about um, uh, implementing at prime stage is, and, and I think this is another next step that we need to take, is that we need to respect actors' identities. We need to respect how they describe their own race and, and identity and ethnicity. We need to respect their own self-description as well and how they pronounce their names, which we can generally get. But unless we talk to the actors and hear from them about how they describe themselves, you know, what pronouns they might use, for instance. Um, Thank you. you know, we need to... We need to um, implement that. So I, I developed a survey to ask all the actors these important questions, then I can integrate that into the work that I do. But Fantastic but it, points. It's, it's, and it's, the it's, transportation it's, one is really... Yes, we have to just keep asking ourselves, you know, how we do better. And the one great thing by Prime Stage leading the way on this is that every other theater or every other institution that I approach about doing work for them, I'm not, they've set the bar. Right. I, these are expectations now, Joel, about getting backstage and seeing all the photos and taking photos. That's an expectation I have now. I'm setting the bar because half the theaters don't know what the expectations are anyway. They don't know what they're doing. They have no idea what this is about. So you can educate them, but you have to set those expectations and, and, and you have to push to improve. I will do. I will do a quick comment off of what Nathan said, doing the Nutcracker, um, the ballet. It's a tradition now. 
um, in Des Moines that we provide audio description and, um, you know, Des Moines small enough town. And I know, uh, I am blessed to know so many of the people who go to our place. I pick them up, um, and bring, I can seat eight people in my SUV. I mean, I'm going, I might as well pick you up. Anyway, we had a bat, um, come at the, 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 the dancers during the nutcracker and tried to make its way with, um, have its way with the sugar plum fairy. And so just imagine if you're sitting in a theater and the, the eruption of screams. And then the, of course the thing is flying just above people's heads um, during the nutcracker, but just imagine hearing that, not knowing what the age is going on. So absolutely absolutely, live theater. um, You need to be live. I, I was frightened when our local big theater, the civic center, asked me what I thought of canned description. And I basically told him what I thought, but, um, but yeah, I, I love the dog story and we had a bat and, but you know what, that sugar plum fairy, she didn't even blank. She did all of the fairy things and kept spinning. She didn't even move, but that's all I have to say. Time. My thank you to uh, Joel Snyder, to, to Kim, uh, to Carl Richardson, my thank you to all of you for coming. And of course, we all thank Norma Jean Wick, uh, Wayne Brendan, Nathan Ruggles, and Mary Frances Evans for, and Mark Turris, last but not least. Uh, we thank all of you for being here today, and we hope that you've enjoyed it as much as we have. Thank you. Congratulations again. Thank you all. You. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much, everybody. Thank you for.